The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Beyond and hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond, episode 714. And I am very angry this morning, but I'll get to that in a second. I'm joined this morning by Brian Altano. Did I do it? Did I piss No, you, off? you didn't do it. No, it's not your fault. But I'm okay. also joined by Max Scoville. It's not his fault either. You're one of those people, if when you're extremely angry, I can't tell, which makes me just so scared that you're constantly I'm angry. so upset, you guys. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm upset because I had a ton of couch puns prepared for this show because there was a possibility I was going to have a couch delivered while we were filming this episode. And I was so prepared. I had like a dozen puns ready to go. And then this couch showed up like two hours before the episode. And there it oh. is. And oh. it's it's just here. Your dog, your dog loves it. That's yeah. Cool. He's That's he's snoozing. He he's he'll make more in. more cameos, I guess. Uh, but yeah. So I lost all that pun potential, and so now we just have to talk about PlayStation. I'm sorry. Mm, That's okay. what we have to do on this PlayStation podcast. Uh, <laughs> but we do have a lot to talk about this week, uh, including and let's begin with I think uh, as always the continued saga of Abandon, aka the thing everyone hopes is Metal Gear Solid or Silent Hill or a Kojima game, but it isn't for sure um for those who weren't paying attention this week after the delay a couple weeks ago of the abandoned real-time experience app which is available on ps5 uh the the first update to it which was supposed to have a teaser sort of real-time trailer in it we're not exactly clear on what it was supposed to be was supposed to appear as of recording yesterday at noon pacific it was supposed to show up in the app we were supposed to have access to it and be able to see what this game actually was and then it got delayed. Uh, right around about 20 minutes after the app uh, was supposed to launch with this trailer, uh, Blue Box Studios, the, the company behind whatever Abandoned is, tweeted out about how uh, there were problems with the update and they would get back to people as quickly as possible. They were working on it. Uh, there was an update later in the evening yesterday. It was not updated by then. And then there was an update earlier today, uh, just to read it, um, about six hours ago as of recording. The delay is taking longer than expected, which I, is kind of what a delay is. It's something. <laughs> we are fully working. On Our this delay week. is right on time. <laughs> <laughs> we thank you for the patience and we apologize for this. This is the uh, third tweet in sort of a chain from Blue Box uh, about this uh, continued delay. As of right now, it's not uh, available. Uh, again, given the way this show works, it probably will be available after we record mm. and before the show posts. And to, to, cl- to clarify, this is not the game. This is no. an app to access the trailer. The, yes. yes. So it is the 
the way that the developers have explained it is they want to prove that the game is as high quality as they are promising. And rather than just making a pre-made trailer available, though they've said they will also put the trailer on YouTube at the same time it's up in the app, uh, they want you to be able to see it running in real time on the PS5, even though it will just be a a trailer as far as we can tell that is just kind of running in the app. Um, I also don't know why the, the trailer just can't be on YouTube at this point. Uh, this is, of course, for, for those who, who don't remember, we talked about Abandon a few weeks ago uh, when the, uh, the, the breadcrumbs and conspiracy theories and the Charlie Day meme come to life. That mm-hmm. is what is Abandoned sort of took over the internet for a little bit around E3. And uh, this is the game that I think so many people really, really hope is Kojima pulling another Moby Dick Studios is konami trying to pull a kojima and make a silent hill game um i don't know about you guys but i like i've always stuck by the belief that this is not any of those things and is just an indie dev kind of in over their head i feel like this rollout more than anything kind of proves that this is just an indie dev not equipped for the amount of probably exposure this game has and is having to scramble in a spot i there's a there's like a, a very specific tipping point that I think that happens with um, kind of like hype levels uh, before something gets announced. And I, I think that this team has now pushed past that threshold. Having having like that announcement set up for yesterday and then saying it was delayed and then just going radio silent um, is bad. But also like I, I do think there's a little bit of responsibility here on PlayStation side. I mean, Shuhei Yoshida was tweeting about this yesterday and like that. That dude is high enough, you know, hi, Shu, if you're listening, big fan, love you, but you're high enough in the company that like, you know, either, you know, something or you should know something or like you shouldn't kind of be in the same place where the rest of us are, where you're kind of guessing on what's next here. Like there's the surprises should be sort of minimalized on your side. Um, It's also like with the certification process of getting something published on the PlayStation store, I didn't know it was something you kind of like just jerk around like this. Like this feels like what the app store does on, on iPhone where they're just like, oops, uh, you know, there's like a, there's a new game out in Skyrim's here or something. Or we didn't have a release date. Like this is, this is how video games launched in the eighties where they just appeared in some stores some days. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of the goodwill has been burned out here by this studio. I, I feel like they are in over their head and I feel like it's, it's like, it's, it's crappy to the fans not because they've kind of gone wild with conspiracy theories to, to a certain point. I, I don't, you know, I don't blame them for that. They've been fed the breadcrumbs. I'm, you know, sympathetic to the limitations of the technical sides of an independent studio and sympathetic to everything that's going on with the, with the world and why that could and will and has delayed several things. But at some point you have to go like, put up or shut up, like show us what you, what you want here. Like if I'm, if I'm cooking dinner and it's taking too long, and or, or I screw it up, I order pizza. I don't just like tell my family to go to bed hungry and, and you know throw everything out. Like at some point, you got to put some food on the table here. So I hope they do that soon. Um, I fear for the backlash that's going to happen if it's not uh, anywhere near what people are expecting it to be and what they frankly like kind of led people to believe it might be. Yeah, also, I, the, the, the sense I'm getting is that this like it's a it's a trailer app meaning that it's it's just it's not it's not a demo right it's not like a game it's not playable it's not going to be a a playable teaser if you will why not okay then why like why it seems like completely just i get that they want to show off that yes is actually running on playstation 5 hardware but like 
having a little thing at the bottom of the screen and having your video up on the PlayStation official YouTube channel, I feel like covers that for the most part. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I would just as soon hold off and wait until they have a demo. You know, like I want to, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to download an app to watch a video that's rendered. Like that just seems like it's, it's like a completely arbitrary way of showing something off. I don't and understand the that. Of, yeah. Yeah. So, really, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Hassan, uh, the, the, the front person essentially for the studio who many people have assumed is the hired actor to be, you know, Kojima's front man. I think mm-hmm. he's just actually a developer uh, has said that the reason they created this was because they, uh, as an indie studio, their, their budget for marketing is very limited. They thought something like this would bring more attention and show the fidelity of the game. And like, granted it's really bringing the attention. Uh, you know, obviously I, I think a lot more people are paying attention to this because of the botched kind of rollout of all of this, but also because as Brian, you were saying like the very mixed messaging that has led to all the conspiracy theories and things. And it's something that like, I I think, you know, it's, it's a little hard to separate for me because we often talk a lot about having a lot of sympathy for the developers who are, who are put under enormous pressures for things, but this is also a game where they've been marketing it and stumbling at every point to the point that for me, it feels intentional to lead people on. Like there was, the most recent teaser image before the trailer sort of tease was, you know, get ready for abandon on July 27th with a blurred out image of a guy with an eye patch. And it's right. like, they know people think this is Kojima. They know people think Konami's involved. I know they've put out tweets that say they are not Konami. And I believe that, but they know the vast majority of attention is because people think it's that. And to mm-hmm. do that just eggs on those conspiracy theories. And again, granted, man, that really brings people attention to your game. Like people are definitely paying attention, but I got to imagine it's going to earn people when the game gets revealed. And I believe, you know, we, we may very well still be proven wrong, but I believe it is not Kojima making this game. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Wait, so I, I, I've been thinking about a lot. Uh, when I was a kid, I went with my family to Washington Square Park in New York City, and there was this dude doing street magic there. And at the beginning of it, he got like a whole crowd of people around. And he was like, at the end of this show, I'm going to climb through my hat. No one's ever done anything like this before. But if you all pay me, um, I'm going to do the trick at the very end. And so he did all these like kind of low level street magic tricks, not even like David Blaine stuff where he's levitating, just like card tricks and the coin from the ear like uncles do. Um, and at the very end, uh, he had like this gigantic hat full of money. And he's like, you all want me to climb through this right now, right? But um, yeah, well, we're going to have to do that another time. And then he left with like a hat full of money and everybody I've just, I remember being like a kid and being like 25 people just got ripped off in the middle of this park. We all got tricked and that sucks. <laughs> and he left. And I was like, that that's sort of like, this is evoking similar feelings. Obviously we haven't paid for this, but we are investing time and sort of like our, our, our brain power in debating and discussing. And uh, who do, do we blame the fans for hyping this? Do we blame the devs for hyping this? Do we blame Kojima? Do we blame Sony? Like, it's just a whole, it's a whole big thing. It hasn't really led to anything yet. And it just kind of feels like we're getting hoodwinked right here. And I, I, I have to just keep reminding myself that there, you know, there has to be a better way to drum up attention for your project. Like, I understand that it's a competitive market out there and it's, it's, it's cutthroat and it's, there's so a hundred games released every second at this point, but there's gotta be a better and less nefarious and less sort of misleading way to drum up support and attention for for your new game. Like I, there's just gotta be like, this just doesn't feel right so far. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It just, it's, it strikes me as like, I mean, we're, I feel like we're 
good at being professionally disappointed and frustrated <laughs> by things. And I think a lot of people in the audience or, you know, the people who were expecting this to be a Silent Hill game or people who have like, who've, you know, taken those hints and those teases and those, uh, like, I, do these people have PR? Do they have a PR person who's in charge of, of their, like they say, they don't have enough money for marketing in the conventional sense and they're doing a, a playable teaser app or whatever. But like, I feel like this is just a, this is going to be, a, this is a disaster waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. yeah uh, it, you know i think people are gonna get angry you know it's boy it's boy who cried wolf stuff like and it's it's yeah i i think it would almost be i don't know it, it, is it preferable to have a you know a game that's that's received quietly or you know quieter than you might like but maybe positively or a game that's received with outrage and disappointment on a grander scale like what it seems just like a kind of a gamble and with yeah know, with, again we're, we're talking about we're talking about nothing it's got this 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 trailer we've seen so far the minute there's a bunch trailer. of shots of trees yeah it's just trees in the and it looks gorgeous but it's also like that's i mean that's like tech demo stuff like we've seen we've seen that and i get that they want to show something off that's like oh here's what the gameplay looks like you know in, in action on your ps5 and that's that's great too but like i i just i don't it, i don't yeah <laughs> no yeah yeah i mean it's I, and again like we, we are incredibly sympath- sympathetic to to the way the world has impacted game dev if you look at this fall uh, it is unrecognizable release-wise from what we anticipated even two months ago, right? Like so much stuff has shifted. Um, and I, I I, feel like if they, and what we've seen with a lot of studios is they put out like an image on Twitter and they go, hey, like, you know, given the safety of our, com- our company and our employees and the well-being of everybody, we've made the hard decision to move our game to Q1 2022. And if you read the responses outside of a couple of garbage boys, most of the people are overwhelmingly sympathetic to that. I think all of us are kind of like, take your time, do your thing. We all have the news. We know what's going on out there. Like, do your thing. This is this doesn't feel like that's what's happening here. This just it feels like they're just kind of dragging this thing along and uh, you know misleading the audience. And maybe we'll hit publish on this episode and be totally proven wrong, and it'll be yeah. amazing. Um, and we can all reflect on this frustrating time as something we wouldn't, that's behind. We wouldn't us. be having this conversation if they hadn't teased a trailer so hard yeah like we, we've seen this we see this occasionally with like with movies where they put up a teaser for the trailer and it's like tune in thursday for the f- official tr- world premiere trailer and they show like 10 seconds and then they slap those 10 seconds onto the front of the trailer and it's like you could just you just start the trailers you don't need to do that but like I, when's when's the last time you remember hearing about a game trailer getting delayed it just it doesn't like it doesn't happen you know when you have you have demos that like there was the final fantasy game that had like a, a demo go up and it was like really servers were screwed up at first and didn't work and like that's understandable because it's software but it like it was up there but they also didn't tease that weeks and weeks in advance you know they they right. weren't like all right mark your calendars everybody here's when it goes live it's kind of like all right uh, check it out it's out now you know there's uh there's a user on uh r slash the blue box blue box conspiracy blue box is the company making this game yeah. um called tic tac paul shout out to tic tac paul he put together this thing called the blue box game studios timeline which is basically like a tldr of here's all the times they like attempted to do playable teaser stuff like this or playable app demo stuff like this here's all the times that they had sort of kickstarters that uh failed or disappeared here's like their history of sort of unfinished stuff and again making video games is very very hard we're incredibly sympathetic to that but this uh this does feel like like this there isn't really necessarily like the biggest history behind this now granted there are studios that have you know had a bunch of bad games that have gone on to make great games that happens all the time 
but it's it's not I, I, it's not adding necessarily like a, a a mountain of optimism onto the situation already to to kind of see their fans have the time to put this kind of stuff together and go or not necessarily fans just people kind of you know watching what's happening here and, and go hey maybe this is you know maybe these guys have been doing this sort of sleight of hand stuff for a lot longer than 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 we think yeah it it's it's just been as as you said it it's a pattern that feels like it extends beyond the times that we've just had this game teased and it's uh it's just frustrating because it's like i just would like to know what the game looks like so we can all move on from this <laughs> and it either is cool or it's not and and i think like something that i kept trying to put into a tweet but couldn't like figure out the right words was sort of like there are just so many games being released and having trailers that are that are out there and, and that are like worth a lot of time and looking into an investment and, and it's frustrating that this feels like it's sucking so much of the air out of the room. I mean, we're talking yeah. about it for 15 minutes, but mm. it, it's one of those things that it's just like, I am very looking forward to the day where we just kind of get the trailer and I wish it was just as easy as putting a trailer on YouTube. Like, but um, for the, for the meantime, it seems like we're going to be continued to be strung along by whatever this Put up some screenshots. Is. Put up like put up concept art, like put up something like show something like I understand that this dude like, uh, you know, Hassan is it's it's great to humanize your studio and show that off. But like I, I just being these these constant like, hey, sorry, we're running a, bit, a little bit late. Like wh what's that thing where it's like if you think you're running 10 minutes late, say you're running half an hour late and then you'll show up early, you know, like just yeah. you, know, <laughs> you want you want 20 bucks, ask for 50 and maybe maybe you'll get lucky, you know, like it's just I, I don't know. It, yeah. <laughs> It's it's a weird case to be, and obviously, once we find out whatever this game is, we'll we'll definitely mention on on uh, this show. But I, I know that especially a lot of the IGN audience and and a lot of people on Twitter were sort of awaiting this as much as I, I saw a lot of uh, comparisons to Kanye dropping Donda. Uh, in the last <laughs> and it very much feels like we're in a situation like that. I think a blessing from kind of funny had had jokingly tweeted like, "What if Donda drops via the abandoned?" And it feels like we're there at this. Point. Uh, yeah. A lot of people were saying that you can't you can't spell uh, Donda without abandoned or whatever <laughs> that stupid thing, um, uh, which is great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. at least with Kanye, he's you know not to give that dude the benefit of the doubt, but is he he at least is like I'm moving into my second football studio to finish my album. Like people, he's, that dude <laughs> people is updating here. This episode of Podcast Beyond is brought to you by NordVPN, a great way to protect yourself online while also improving your overall experience while enjoying cyberspace. Are you tired of streaming shows, movies, or sporting events being unavailable in your region due to draconian restrictions that are based on completely arbitrary geographical boundaries in physical meat space? Well, switch your virtual location to a place where that's no longer an issue. The same goes for shopping. You can get the best possible deal on subscriptions, flights, hotels, and other goods and services like that from websites that like to play favorites with certain territories and currencies. Meanwhile, encrypted traffic protects your data from hackers, viruses, malware, phishing sites, and other harmful hitchhikers of the information superhighway. Though really, it's more of an information autobahn because there is no speed limit with NordVPN. It is the fastest VPN in the world, so there won't be any buffering or lagging, and it'll stop your ISP from throttling your bandwidth. Isn't that nice? One NordVPN account can be used across six devices, which is great. My wife has been using our account to watch all sorts of awful British reality TV shows that aren't available here, like Argument Island or Half-Naked Idiots Fall in Love, and everyone's favorite, The Worst People Just Got Married, Let's Hear Them Talk About It. Shows that are so bad, they're blocked in our part of the world for our own good, but luckily, NordVPN allows her to trick the internet into thinking she's in the UK, so she and her awful friends can shriek and howl and cackle at the TV while I'm trying to relax. I've been using my VPN too. You know what I've been using it for? 
None of your business. Yep, that's right. And thanks to NordVPN, my data is safely encrypted, all bundled up in a weighted security blanket of incomprehensibly complex math problems, and nobody can tell what it's doing under there. Data, you do your thing. I'll leave you alone. One month of NordVPN coverage costs less than a cup of coffee. Coffee can't protect you from cyber criminals unless you throw it at them or pour it on their computers, and you'll probably get in trouble for doing that. So get NordVPN instead. To get the best possible discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. That link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, that is nordvpn.com slash pobeyond. And now, back to the show. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, yeah. exactly. People, people have heard that album, but yeah, it's, yep. a, it's a strange case to be, but to sort of go back to what I was saying about like, there are games to focus on. Uh, I do want to highlight uh, a, a few indies that PlayStation recently highlighted as well to sort of shift away from Abandoned. Uh, there was a, as PlayStation tends to do every few months, it feels like uh, this is their version of like an indie world showcase, which we just got from Nintendo this week. Uh, and I do want to talk about that in context, but we got a sort of a series of blog posts highlighting Hades, which is out this week on PlayStation, uh, as well as announcements for Carrion, which has been available on Xbox Game Pass, uh, A Short Hike, which I believe has been on PC and Switch, uh, Soul Cresta, which comes from Platinum Games and is a revival of a uh, shmup franchise from long ago, uh, Witchwood, which is this uh, cool-looking uh, indie game, and Oxenfree 2, which is, of course, the sequel to Oxenfree, uh, which is now set to come to PlayStation and other consoles in 2022. Uh, we got a series of blog posts about all these games. Uh, I personally am super excited about all of these. I haven't played uh carrion yet have either oh, of man. you guys i feel like yeah oh yeah it kicks ass yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i i think i platinum that game i love that game so much uh it's you could probably finish it in three to five hours so um if if it looks or if there's a launch sale or something grab it there uh it's also on game pass as we mentioned before but yeah play it if you only have a playstation and you love metroidvanias please play that game um it's a little bit Sort of metroid a little castlevania a little john carpenter's the thing you're this uh giant sort of blood tentacle beast that increasingly gets bigger and bigger but gets more and more powers uh and you sort of eviscerate scientists break out of a lab and try to free yourself it's so much fun it's so cool it has some of the sort of most unique sort of 2d platforming player movement that i've ever experienced in a game that the bigger you get the more sort of menacing and interesting it becomes to navigate these environments cling to ceilings old dudes around uh and it's super violent but in a fun mm -hmm. cartoony way uh, i i think if you if you like this genre at all and you want you want to feel accomplished and just crush through a game in a couple hours please play carrion i love it because it's it's like a reverse metroidvania where you're you know you're a blob and you're getting new power-ups and stuff but 
all of the all of the guys you're murdering, they're also gradually getting more gear in the sense that like no- normally video games like, oh, yeah, you get you get to this level, you get the flamethrower. Oh, you learn how to do this. And it's like you're just killing those guys. You know, yeah. like, you're you're just eating them. <laughs> it's great mm-hmm. it's time. It looks like a really fun one. And I'm excited for, for that to hit later this year. They didn't give an exact release date, but hopefully sometime in the fall. Uh, a short hike is uh, a beautiful indie that I've, I've heard amazing things of it. It's apparently also like a two hour game to experience. Um, I've, I've seen it compared to like basically a mini open world adventure game with uh, some animal crossing DNA in there. Uh, it looks really, really cool, but I have I really want to play that one. Yeah. This looks nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, Oxy- can you, can you blame me? I just, I, my mental image for this was a, dare I say it, walking simulator, but it's like, you're, you're a little, like you're a little penguin or a little mm-hmm. bird. You walk around. That seems great. Yeah. You got into to, it. You got to fly. You got to drive a boat. There's apparently some fun mini games in there. It looks really cool. I'm, I'm excited that that one's coming this fall as well. Uh, Soul Cresta is Platinum Games reviving a space shooter series from 36 years ago. Uh, and uh, Hideki Kamiya wrote, uh, Kamiya wrote a, a post on the PlayStation blog about the making of it. I'm not a huge shmup person, but I think it's really funny and interesting to go read this blog post because he talks about how he loved uh, Moon Cresta and Terra Cresta, which were the original games, and how this was something that he, he loved the series and was thinking about how to re you know, bring it into the future and, and bring some of the ideas forward. But they didn't own the rights to this game. And so he had to go pitch the company and they knew the people there, but he was like extremely nervous about it. He was worried that they weren't <laughs> going to give him the rights and that they were, they were going to like laugh him out of the room. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting story that he tells on that blog post. So I definitely go recommend you read it. Um, I, I've enjoyed shmups in my time. It's just not something I play a ton recently, but uh, it, it seems like cool. And I, I definitely would check it out. Platinum I, has a great track record. I actually really, I really like shmups, but there's like a, there's a bizarre tipping point with me where like, this sounds, this sounds like kind of weird, but like when, when the bullet hell gets too bullet hellish, I kind of dip out when it's like that thing where you're just like, you're fidgeting at tiny little player movements in between like these just absolute, just, you know, rain showers of bullets. Like I, I really love stuff like Gradius and, uh, Life Force is like one of my favorite games of all time, AKA Salamander. Um, and I get into shmups here and there. Ikaruga is really great too, even though it's hard as hell. Um, but this one looks really cool. Also, I suggest if you're one of those weirdos like me that has one of those like a uh, rotating PC monitors, hook up your PS5 to that and play shmups Ooh, like yeah. that because it's it's a blast to play. Uh, basically in tape mode or tate, whatever they call it. Um, playing playing shmups on like a giant vertical screen is is super super fun. That's a really good call. Um, and so yeah, just to kind of keep going through these. Uh, Witchwood is sort of a like uh, very beautiful looking kind of like picture book esque uh, adventure game uh, with a very heavy focus on crafting and you know brewing potions and and things of that nature uh, spells and whatnot. It looks really cool. I I'd never heard of this game before, and and that's kind of why I love these sort of rollouts. Is you get to hear a little bit of, of games like this. Uh, there was also, of course, I forgot to mention at the top, but Axiom Verge Two was in this rollout, and as we learned from the Interworld Showcase, it's out today. Uh, sorry, right. I said that one. Uh, apparently, it is essentially like two games in one. Uh, I was reading our preview of it from, I believe it was Tristan, uh, and basically there are two different worlds that you can jump between uh, to play in. So that should be really interesting. And then Oxen Free Two is delayed till next year, but is coming to uh, PlayStation Four and PS Five. It's really I, I love that first game, and so it's really cool to see uh, that one coming as well. But I, I kind of want to talk about this 
uh, and just kind of get your guys' thoughts because it was really interesting to me to see this roll out a blog post. And I think a lot of really cool games, uh, you know, this is not something they've, it's not a brand new thing they've done this before, but especially in light of the recent conversation that we had on the show and a lot of people did of like PlayStation's focus on indies and the commitment to indies uh, versus something like, we had the Xbox Indie Showcase yesterday, or yeah, yesterday as of recording, uh, and the Indie World Showcase today from Nintendo. Do we feel like PlayStation should adopt a model more like that? Like, should they start dipping into state of plays that are all indie focused? Do we feel like these blog posts do enough? Like, what what do we think kind of is the balance that strike here? I think uh, I think hearing from them is never a bad thing, right? Yeah. Like it's it's always good especially this year where it feels like communication's been a little slim um and you know we, we talked about in the past like sort of gluing together a bunch of these data plays and they would have made a sort of bigger e3 shaped press conference but i'm i'm totally down for this i think that like what's awesome about this is it a gives a sort of a vessel to highlight a bunch of stuff that maybe people might have slept on and b sets the expectations really well like it's i i think when they when they take a couple of indies and they connect them to something bigger like Ghost of Tsushima or Horizon or something like that, I think that's cool because it's sort of like when they show like a, you know, a short film before like a Pixar movie or something like that. You're like, oh, that's cool. I might not have seen that on its own. Um, but I think we're all here. We're all present. I, if they just came out and said, hey, we're going to do like a little indie say to play, I'd be like, great, I'm in. Let's watch every second of that um, rather than sort of it being, you know, kind of like a a little you know, hors d'oeuvre before like a big, a big meal. I think I'm hungry today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I haven't eaten today yet either. Uh, but Max, what do you think about their, their, yeah. Currently? I mean, like Brian said, I think them saying anything would be great. You know, we spent <laughs> the first 20 minutes of the show talking about an app getting delayed. Like, I feel like maybe Sony should be a little louder. Like a blog post is great. If it's 2002, like, I don't know, maybe put, video of your video games up and i get that maybe if they're if they're sandwiched between xbox having an indie showcase and you know nintendo having an indie showcase or whatever they call it like maybe there's maybe there's some weird you know deals with it that the indies have to be like oh like we'll you know reveal it on the nintendo switch thing but not say that it's coming to other things then sony sort of piggybacks on that by being like it's also coming to our thing which we see all the time with like you know when a game gets revealed on you know during a, a whatever platforms e3 showcase and then it has to basically sort of have a little addendum in the press release being like, it's also coming to other platforms. We just exclusively revealed it over there, you know, like, but I don't know. I think Sony, they, it's, they're one of the, the, the big platforms. They can absolutely scoop up a few indies and be like, Hey, you never seen this before. Here it is. Here's a reveal right here. Mm -hmm. Check it out. Like, it just seems really odd that, yeah, like a, a blog post is great, but like, that's, I mean, if that's somebody keeping the lights on, then that's like if you, you know, you have one of those like little timers that turns on your kitchen light at, you know, 5 p.m. every day to <laughs> so burglars don't break in. Like, a, it's you know, show, <laughs> I, show some more signs of life, please. I, I think something like a showcase um, and I think there's definitely a middle ground, like the the Xbox Indie Showcase that happened this week was a little shorter. But the first one of these they did in, in recent memory was like four hours long. And that's just too much. Uh, but, and then, you know, conversely, there's the Indie World Showcases, which are like. 18 minutes here's 30 indies that are coming out we'll, we'll see you later like there there there's, might be a middle ground there's a happy medium between a blog post that is written on a site that people maybe don't even know about and a four-hour live production <laughs> 
just yeah. sub- split the difference. You know? There's there's definitely a middle ground that I think PlayStation could be hitting. I, I think you're totally right of like, if they did a state of play indies, it also becomes an appointment that people then go to and, and is, is something that people are more uh, inclined to go check out than, oh yeah, they, they put up four or five blog posts a day. Maybe I'll go check this out. I even, mm-hmm. uh, to Max, what you were saying, uh, someone had tweeted at me yesterday because I tweeted out the Ali Ali World uh, trailer that PlayStation had tweeted. And I, I don't want to put this person on the spot, so I won't name them, but they were like, do you think this was supposed to be in a state of play? Because it seems weird that they would just post this. And it's like, well, no, it was. And it, like both of you were saying, it was at the the Xbox show. They just aren't going to say that on the PlayStation. Um, but, you right. know, it, it is weird to see that trailer just out of the blue on the PlayStation feed as this brand new spotlight for a really cool upcoming indie that's going to be on PlayStation. Uh, and if they, you know, these blog posts are really great and there's a lot of really cool information. Like I said, the the Soul Cresta kind of story is not something that I think you'd want to spend five minutes on a in a, a Indie World Showcase style video about. And a blog post is a great supplement to that. But I think having a montage show that brings all that stuff together could work. Um, and it's kind of just yeah, disappointing. I, I, I think we can all just use a little more you know, stuff to look forward to and having like a, a regular sort of eventized thing. Like I've been saying this for ages. It'd be really cool if we just, I don't know, like the first Thursday of every month, we get a new PlayStation thing. We get a little reveal and maybe they show off the last of us part three, or maybe they show a bunch of indies that already came out on PC. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter just to have something, you know, and I think you could, you know, like Nintendo directs are, are they're sort of, sort of on schedule. Like they're kind of, they're sort of irregular too. You know, they're not like the, exactly the same date. I think they do what, like one every quarter thereabouts. Plus depends yeah Yeah. in the good days in the good days there was there was a stretch that recently we had the longest stretch between nintendo directs in history yeah which was i forget how long it was but it was it was like we it never been that far before and you know like i I believe was it inside xbox tried experimenting with that for a while and i feel like their format was bad it was just like kind of like people sitting around in in lawn chairs being like oh it was just kind of like it was again there's a way a little too long the inside xboxes could go like two two and a half hours sometimes and and Mm -hmm. they were they were often live so there were hiccups there and things like that yeah i I agree there's definitely a middle ground i think but max speaking to your point of like the regularity the thing that is regular on nintendo side is even the stretches between directs indie world showcases are uh yearly they do them right before or around gdc and normally right before or around pax prime which is kind of what this would be if, if we were you know going to PAX Prime, but it's one of those things where one of my favorite things is always people are like, oh, I hear there's going to be an indie showcase in a couple of weeks. It's like, yeah, because there's PAX. Of course there's going to be right. this every year for the past four years. But if, if PlayStation did that, that would be great. Like, there are indies hitting PlayStation every week, and and as you said, if there was like a monthly check-in, that was like, here's the state of indies for yeah, the next like, four weeks. That would be cool. Netflix does, Netflix has a YouTube channel and they put up like every week. It's like, what's coming to Netflix this week? And it's very frustrating because we do one that was monthly and we try to keep up, but they know their secrets <laughs> because it's their platform. But like, I don't know, like Sony used to do the drop. Like every week it would be like, here's what's coming out this week. And it was like, it was super handy. But now we just get these sort of sporadic blog posts that occasionally are like, hey, it's here's a cross post from the head of Epic Games talking about something or other. You're like, it seems, you know, grossly out of, it, I don't know, it's just, it's a weird, like what, what is that blog? You know what I it, think it's, it's odd, I think, you know, you, I think that's a good solution. You just pitched there, right? Like it's like if once a month on uh, Twitch and YouTube and, and their, their social media platforms, they just go, Hey, here are the PlayStation games coming to PS5 and PS4 this month or PSVR. Yeah, get get um, like an intern and Adobe Premiere subscription and let them cut together a bunch of trailers that maybe are already out there and just, you know, put like a, and now coming up, coming later this fall, 
look forward to this. See you next time. Like, just yeah, yeah do with a robot that- voice if you need to. <laughs> yes. Coming up next, there's going to be a big game about a squirrel who. Has uh, 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 are you ready to laugh? The next game is jam packed with comedy. <laughs> yeah, again, I think uh, it keeps coming back to this, and we have to constantly, I think, sort of ground it in this uh, in 2021, the sequel to 2020, in ways that we didn't imagine and hoped we uh, were probably be in a different movie by now. But here we are again. Um, in the same way, The Hangover Two is the same exact plot of the first one. Here we are again. Um, I feel like. Wait, hold, Sony- up, hold up, hold up. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an idiot. They literally did exactly the thing I was saying that it was oh. six, six days ago. PlayStation Indie Spotlight, August 5th. Did they put a, a video up though? It's one minute long, and it just oh. has a clip of all the trailers, and it just says that they're oh, yeah. the game. Yeah. So they and did that just- after the series of blog posts. But yeah, I, I think I, I know what you mean. Like doing something a little bit more fully featured as a package. Mm-hmm. But yeah. But yeah, I, I think that. Uh, a lot of people went into this year with big plans. Sony obviously was like, we're not going to do E3, but we will have some stuff here and there. And then, uh, you know, things things stayed as difficult as they've been for 18 months now. And um, again, I'm sympathetic. So like, I do think they're going to have like a big showcase thing eventually. But also like this, like we said before, the fall just looks different right now than it did um, you know, been been really at almost than almost it it ever has, right? Like this feels like there's going to be some big stuff, obviously, but this feels like a pretty slim fall. Like, uh, you know, Horizon is is not part of this year anymore. Uh, God of War is not part of this as year anymore. As far as we know, allegedly, yeah, Horizon wasn't officially delayed, right? <laughs> no, they still mm-hmm. haven't said anything official. And uh, like Clockwork and and Brian, I actually did want to bring this up because I I know it's something that you guys have had to deal with on Nintendo Voice Chat for years. Um. We there was another one of those, of course, like, oh, I hear there's a PlayStation showcase coming up in a week and there was no announcement of that, of course. Right. But it, those now happen, I feel like, as often as Nintendo Direct rumored to be revealed next month, uh, things were happening for a little bit there. I feel like th- this PlayStation silence bubble and, and granted, we, we know there's big stuff coming up, but it's, it's that lack of mm-hmm. constant. We're also uh, like we're, we're two weeks away from Gamescom and there's inevitably yeah. hopefully going to be some stuff there. I mean, even if it's not, you know, Sony proper, like, I'm sure there'll be a bunch of studios dumping stuff. But again, like this fall feels weird. Like it feels I mean, last year, I think it was kind of um, pretty excusable. And it was definitely a strange situation because we had next gen hardware launching. But, you know, things were kind of delayed slash radio silent slash completely disrupted. And, you know, 2021 is sadly not our first rodeo. And it seems it seems especially slim for uh, for the first year that we do have new consoles. You know, usually mm-hmm. it's like it, the first, you know, launch stuff is always kind of either sparse or so-so or just kind of like a weird mixed bag. But like, you know, once there's there's been like a proper time to sort of, you know, people to attach to the consoles and, and pick them up. There's it's usually the, you know, the second and third years where things start to really pick up. And it's like we're going into this one and there's a few, you know, there's a, there's a few big games, I guess. But it's also it. I don't know. It feels it feels slim. I, and I wonder if there's if we just got to tack on an extra six months to account for all of the stuff that got effed up by the by the pandemic and if we're just going to see like a really really huge like you know uh spring and summer next year or what but yeah 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 i mean it's it's i i've been doing this for a long time right i'm an old man as you can tell from my head and my face but uh i i worked on nintendo voice chat when we were covering the wii u right this is not that we're not there now this is this this show (laughs) this show specifically covers the fastest selling video game console of all time that is not even making it to shelves because they're selling every single one they print and every one of their studios 
underneath Sony's, you know, guys right now is is currently working on what I imagine will be some of the most incredible video games ever made. Like, I really think that like stuff like Horizon, God of War and it, whatever Insomniac does next, like these are going to be amazing, amazing video games. They're just not there yet. And they're we're just not there yet. This is not one of those times where we're just like fighting for scraps. Like we're going to get there. And when we get there, it's going to be fantastic. And the install base is going to be huge and people will be excited. But it's definitely taking a little bit longer than I think a lot of us expected to sort of charge up that gigantic, you know, laser cannon and start firing on all cylinders. Like right now, we're just kind of like, you know, the biggest games this year are like, uh, you know, some new content is coming to Ghost of Tsushima. Amazing. Can't wait. My favorite game of last year. Uh, new stuff is coming to Death Stranding. Great for people who love that game. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> but there's, you know, this, 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 this is not exactly like a gigantic and you know we just got Ratchet and Clank. This is not a gigantic, gigantic sort of like AAA exclusive, brand new video game year for Sony just yet. And I think we'll get there. Um, it's only going to get bigger and better from here. But for now, you know, here we are. Yeah, I, I think the thing with PlayStation and something that I, I think I'm definitely guilty of forgetting when we talk about the the silence, you know, at the moment and what's to come for the fall is they had a extremely busy fall last year with yeah. the launch. Like we got you know, five or six either first party or first party published games with the launch on both PS4 and PS5. Like there was a ton of stuff that was cross-gen and that's just not normally Sony's MO. Like they very rarely put a lot into their fall release calendars, often because there's so much else coming out that they don't really need to worry about that sector. You know, like God of War, Last of Us, Ghost, uh, Horizon, Days Gone. So many of the biggest games of last gen for PS4 exclusives were games that came out in the first half of the year. Um, right. So we're used to quieter falls with them. But yeah, I think it's just in the knowing what's to come and, and both unannounced and announced. It's kind of one of those like we just want to get to that moment. But they've they've had a lot and they, it's a, a great, you know, exciting mm -hmm. moment for what's to come. But it, it's just that moment of like, but I want to hear about it. Mm -hmm. And if, if anyone's if anyone's yeah. mad at us for being for being like negative and whiny about this, I feel like we do this every time like this time of year. You know, because like for the most part, we've gotten all the big sort of announcements and reveals, you know, it's, and then it's it's like, we, you know what you're getting for Christmas, but you can't open it yet. You know, like it's sort of we're just like, no, I want to play the games, you know, like I always, you know, we're, we're uh, even the event season is kind of a non-event this year. It's I, I think it's still sort of, you know, wears us out and you can only get you can only get so hyped for so long before you're sort of like, all right, well, let me let me play the thing, you know, and it's mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm, I'm sort of dying to play some some new games and I'm I'm. I don't know. I want to get my hands on Far Cry Six. You know, I, yeah, I do think too. it's the the absence of a PlayStation event. Like, we, yes, mm -hmm. we did have the recent state of play, and we we had a state of play earlier this year. But like, nothing is the level of an E three showcase this year. Like, Xbox had an E three showcase. They're doing a Gamescom showcase. They have these other indie showcases in the middle. Nintendo had its uh, you know E three showing and and these other directs. It's it's just like comparatively, we're we're not hearing that same volume, and I think that's where a lot of it's yeah, um, I think I think you nailed it back there, Jonathan, about um, Sony sort of historically keeping the fall kind of clear for third parties, um, which you know statistically sell best on on PlayStation or at least have for a while. And I think that's going to continue to happen this fall. Like they're going to be sort of fundamentally aligned with the battlefields and the Far Cries and the Call of Duties. And when that MP MPD rolls in, you'll probably see, you know, a lot of those do the best numbers on PlayStation. I mean, who knows that things are, are, are a lot different. We have all, all three companies are selling really well right now. Most of those games, if not all those games, you won't be able to play on switch, 
but um i think that like that's a that's a sort of interesting factor to it they don't really need need right air quotes to, to have a big triple a you know first party game this fall when there's going to be so many third party games that people will associate with games they play on playstation even if they are multi-platform so yeah i mean there'll be stuff to play it yeah. just necessarily won't be from sony i mean unironically uh I, I say this extremely seriously if neither gets delayed the two two of the biggest games of the fall will most likely be gta 5 and the witcher when they get, yeah. you know, ported to next gen. Those will probably be some of the games we talk about the most or are played and discussed the most to see what changes with them. Uh, and for people either revisiting or, or looking at them for the first time, I think that's going to take up a lot of room, honestly. Which is I hope weird. GTA I finally <laughs> takes off. I really yeah. think not enough people gave that game a chance, you know, just yeah. take that... <laughs> It, that's two generations old at this point. It's yeah. so crazy to me. It's so wild. So crazy that to is, me. That is arguably one going to be one of the best-selling games of the fall, I would assume. Yep. Uh, but yep. yeah, well, we'll have a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. As as we mentioned, there are a lot of really cool-looking uh, indies on the horizon, uh, including just this week, Hades is coming to PlayStation, which if you haven't gotten a chance to play Hades before, go play Hades. It's uh, like, I know we talk about this sometimes and people get upset. If you happen to have both, it's on Game Pass. And so if you're subscribed to Game Pass, go check it out there. If you don't want to spend the 20 bucks, even though it's well worth it, uh, go play that game. It's phenomenal. I, I've been playing it on PlayStation. I played, you know, 80 hours of it on Switch. I'm just sucked in all of them. Um, I love this game so wholeheartedly and, and love Supergiant in general. Uh, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of really cool indies on the horizon. I, I hope we'll be able to discuss them more on the show. Uh, and speaking of indies, before we uh, discuss a little bit of what we've been playing and, and just some other loose ends, uh, I did want to throw to earlier this week, I did an interview with Carlos Rocha Silva, who is uh, uh, the director of Chris Tales, which is a recent RPG that came to PlayStation as well as other platforms. Uh, talked a little bit about the art style of that game, uh, some of the interesting time mechanics they're doing in the combat and in the storytelling. Uh, so I'm going to throw to myself. Uh, and that discussion with Carlos, which was a really fun time. Thank you, Jonathan, for that wonderful introduction that I'm sure you gave that I definitely will remember. I said this when we record the full episode. Uh, I am here and very, very excited to be talking with Carlos from the Chris Tales development team. Carlos, you were the director uh, of Chris Tales, and it's a wonderful RPG that I've really been enjoying playing over the last couple of weeks. It, it's currently out on PS4 and PS5, as well as a ton of other platforms as well. But uh, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you a little bit more about the game. So thank you so much for joining me today thank you very much for inviting me the whole team and everyone here in colombia is super excited that people all over the world are playing pre-sales so we're very humbled and very honored to show the, the whole world what we were capable of doing in this whole development journey uh it's it's a really spectacular uh, rpg that of course i think uh for many like myself included uh you know i first had an interest in it because of just how beautiful you know visually it is but uh now that i've had the chance to play it i want to go a little bit more deeper into it without spoilers of course for those who are who are just jumping in themselves uh after listening to this uh but before we get into some of the the stuff that i've really been enjoying just for those who may be interested in it uh do you want to give a brief overview of what chris tales is of course so in Chris Sales, you play as Chriswell, this young orphan who acquires these powers very early on that allow her to see the past, the present, and the future at the same time. And you as a player are able to do that just the same in both the adventure mode and in battle mode. Chris Wells is a turn-based RPG based on the classical games such as 
uh, Super Mario RPG, Chrono Trigger, and Final Fantasy VI, who's, uh, that's my all-time favorite game, uh, video game. And it's taking a lot of those design elements from that golden era of JRPGs and mixing it a lot with today's modern design elements. And we're trying to innovate um, by also at the same time paying homage to those wonderful games that we played when we were younger. So I'd really love to dig into some of the stuff you were talking about, because I, I do really feel that sort of uh, th there is this clear homage and a love for the genre, the, you know, the JRPG genre and, and so much about it. But there's a lot of really, really cool stuff you and the team are doing within Crystals as well that I want to dig into. And of course, I, I think the central thing to uh, have to dig into that I really want to is the the time mechanic. Uh, and as you were saying, this is something that's really central to not just battle, but, uh, you know, exploring the world and, and some of the puzzle solving and, and character development as well. Can you tell me a little bit about the inspiration of wanting time to be such a focus and, and how the team sort of settled on this past, present, future motif that's in the game? Yes. So thank you very much for that question. I'm, I'm also the uh, creative director and game designer, main game designer of the game. So I came up originally with that idea a few years ago, around five years ago. And I really thought it was very interesting to see how in the same screen you could see past, present, and future at the same time. It actually came to me um, while I was, we, we had, I've been developing video games for 13 years now. And one of the video games that I worked be on before uh, with my previous company below the game was called uh, Story Warriors Fairy Tales. And we were nominated as one of the finalists for Indicate in, and we went to Los Angeles. While we were there, we were looking at other really great games. And one of them was this VR experience that was really interesting, where you could see in the VR, like in the, in the goggles, you could see, like, you know, a, a room. It was a sci-fi side of uh, sort of setting. And if you put like your hand, you could see the past. And if you could, uh, if you put the other hand, you could see like the future. So I thought that was very interesting. It was sort of a puzzle uh, type of game. I really liked that idea. And I was also very excited about the, I had very recently played uh, The World Ends With You, uh, a game that I really loved as well. So it came to me, um, what if you could see in the same screen, the past, the present, and the future? And we started, you know, developing this idea with uh, Sebastián Villarreal, who's our director, and Yadir Villamizar, who's the gameplay director. Uh, and we started playing with this idea of how this could develop into a video game. After we put that into the screen, we were thinking, okay, this looks amazing, but it's just a puzzle game for now. And what we wanted to do is like put it into a frame that could make a lot more sense for a more, let's say, mainstream game that we would really enjoy ourselves. And we really love JRPGs. So I came up with this idea of you being able to also send your enemies into the past or into the future. And remember all those fights in the old RPGs where they could like do a pincer attack on you and they would appear on both sides. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to do with that is that every fight in Crystals would be like that. And you can send the enemies to the past or to the future and they would have different abilities, different looks, a lot of different things. Uh, but the most important uh, element that I wanted to explore is that what if you could also use 
delta status ailments. And by that, I mean, if you poison an enemy in the present and you send them into the future, instead of him receiving, you know, little damage turn by turn, you could make them receive all of the damage all at once. So with that idea, I said, yes, we found a gold mine. We found something that we could, could explore a lot more. And that's how the original idea came to be and it turned into this, this JRPG. But it wasn't born that way. It was just born exploring this tech idea, this just really crazy and, and wacky thought of you see, being able to see past, present, and future at the same time. Gotcha. That's that's fascinating to hear because I think the you know the combat side of it, as you were saying, the ability to poison someone on one turn, send them into the future, and and cause them to get like the stacked buildup of all that poison immediately, is such a uh, sort of as you were saying, it it pays homage to you know status elements that have been around in JRPGs forever, but it, it has this new twist to it that I've loved ex loved experimenting and and trying to figure out you know new combinations of different powers and especially as you get new teammates, it's it's such a joy to figure that stuff out. Um, I, I guess maybe this is a little bit of like a chicken and egg sort of scenario question, but there's a really great cast of characters that you build your party with. Did deciding who those characters would be come as a result of of thinking how could you play to this time mechanic in different ways or or did they come from you know uh character stereotypes that you wanted to look at and maybe uh, dig deeper into how, how did that sort of ensemble come together well it's a mix of both there were a few characters that some of the team members wanted so Yadir wanted to create Karihudo uh which is like a very interesting character Celestian wanted to create uh, the Volcano Sisters and Chris Bell of course um but as I was writing the characters because I was also the lead uh, designer on the writing side I wanted them to have a direct relationship with the time mechanics so everything in the game follows the follows this certain philosophy. Learn from the past, act in the present, create your future. And with that, with that in mind, everything had to revolve around that. So if you're playing with time powers, if you're playing with manipulation of, you know, redoing things uh, or affecting things with time, one of the first ideas that came to mind is what changes a lot when you look at it through the ages, through the years nature so that's how i came up with the idea of this nature mage with wilhelm so with nature you see this little seed that's very very small but in 100 years it can turn into this huge tree so i love that idea of how that could could change so much and could be so noticeable but there were also these other ideas. Uh, so Celestian had this idea of this character named Sass, and she was sort of, uh, you know, crazy and interesting. And I thought, okay, so we could do something also related to time that what would a gambler want more than try again and again? That's why we came up with the idea of this random-based character, sort of like Setzer in Final Fantasy VI. Mm -hmm. so, that was also related to to the time powers and a lot of people you know may uh, we could have maybe done this even better but you know my my favorite character who's jkr721 um he is unaffected by time so you know some of them are very affected some of them are not affected at all so that's why he can grab enemies and put them into the other side of the screen
mean, you know, do these other sort of really weird stuff. Um, so basically, they all have these relationships, these direct relationships between their mechanics and the the time element of the game. And based on that, we came up with their personality. So Isas is so random. That's why uh, JKR is so, um, say, stoic and so thoughtful. Uh, it's really fast. And, you know, that's why uh, um, Christopher is so explosive uh, with with his uh, elemental-based magic. So that's a little bit of, of why they are all the way they are. It's, it's a really fun uh, ensemble to sort of mix and match, not just for their personalities in the story, but, you know, for the battles you were saying, something like Wilhelm, the, the sort of seed-based mechanic, as you were mentioning, the nature mage. It's a, it's a really interesting twist on on sort of a, a gameplay ideas that, oh yeah, I know how to poison a character, but to seed poison in so that it becomes stronger later uh, or, or manipulate time so that it, it, it explodes sooner than, than they expected is, is a really great twist on gameplay that I've, I've been playing for, you know, years and, and decades. And it's a really nice, uh, fresh introduction of that. But as, as you were saying, not just this ensemble, but, but all the characters in general, uh, you have this really unique opportunity to explore their past, their present, and future. And when you're exploring most of the major uh, township areas, I guess is the best way to put it, sort of the hubs that you visit throughout the journey, uh, you often get to, you know, hop between all three time periods. You get to uh, take on side quests that allow you to affect how things might might go within these cities for some of the characters. Uh, how important was it to make sure that you were building these spaces to also take advantage of that time mechanic outside of battle? And, and what was the approach there? So it was not only important for those places to be different from each other, like how does the evolution of a certain place can be noticeable, but also we wanted to be impactful with the messages that we were saying with the game. Because personally, I think that video games are a form of art and that we can say a lot of messages using the, uh, this this medium so for instance in in the uh, one of the first cities that you visit which is saint clarity uh, that it's actually based on real cities from the coastal atlantic um uh, side of colombia so we were i mean we we're all based in colombia so we took a lot of inspiration from a lot of the places that we've visited and in saint clarity you can see that there are a lot of problems with the sewer system so the uh, the streets get flooded. And we wanted to play with that idea because you can see that the flooding happens in the present and it's tolerable. I mean, it affects you a little bit, but it's tolerable. But in the future, you can see how everything is completely flooded. And we really like that idea of you being able to see the consequences of today's problems when they are not being uh, trying to be solved. So we really wanted to see how this evolution of, of certain events that you can take part in can devolve into something very negative or can in 
can give you the motivation to try and fix them. So that was that was extremely important for us to try to give a message message with each place. Some places have this other concept of inevitability. So anything that you do, you will inevitably have something negative happen. Or you can see how maybe you can support this part or this other part, but not help everyone. So it was really, really important for us for the people to see that this philosophy, these learn from the past, act in the present, create your future, depended a lot on their actions and, and their decisions uh, throughout the game. It's it's really fascinating to have, and for anyone who's you know seen any footage of it, you have this sort of a triangular based uh, viewpoint when when you're in these cities of of you in the present as Chris Bell and and your party members, and then of course the the past and future on both sides of you. And it's um, as you were saying, it, it's really affecting to be able to see in something like Saint Clarity of the you know seeing things are. Uh, overtaken by by the water and and just completely flooded in in the future and w instilling that as, as something that will drive you to want to affect the story as well uh, is is really smart idea. D did that take a lot of fine tuning though? I guess to make sure that, uh, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, the past, the present, and the future didn't bleed into each other as the characters moving around. Was that something really hard to to nail down? It was definitely hard, especially from a production standpoint. So you can do, if you remember well, like the, the old RPGs had all of these, you know, very basic generic NPCs. And in Chris Sales, we don't have a lot of generic NPCs because we wanted to tell a story with each and every one of them. We are a very small team. We are 25 people both within SICK and Dreams Incorporated, who are like the two companies who are co-producing the game. So it being such a small assemble of people, we really put on this this really high bar of trying to show everything that so we we really want people to see little stuff by just walking, walking from right to left, seeing the past of someone, seeing the future of someone and and that was really hard to do. And also aside of the art part, the programming and the assembling part was really hard because sometimes you made this decision and we had to check that, okay, if you do all of these decisions, that uh, you can see the future changes into this. Or if you do these other things, you can see the future changes into this other thing. So it was really demanding and it was really difficult also to design. So if you design, uh, we, we had to design also, okay, if this happens, this person believes in this, in this tragedy happens, they will believe in this other thing and the dialogue has to change alongside it. So dialogue wise, production, art, programming, it all had to make sense. And finally, when we were able to allow people to test it, it had to feel right. It had to feel like it made sense. And we ended up changing a few things here and there, uh, but fortunately we didn't have to change so much because that would have been so much harder. Um, we had very little time to to try and, and iterate on a lot of the things that we wanted because we, you know, we had a lot of time to iterate on the combat, but on the town part, 
it was difficult to redo characters over and over again. So, you know, fortunately it worked out, but, uh, yeah, it was it was a close call, definitely. <laughs> uh, well, it, it's a really impressive uh, effect as you're walking around the world. And I, I, I would imagine, especially, too, with having the game be fully voice acted it, as well, only further complicates that to a certain extent. Uh, of course it does. And we had to write the, the lines for every character and lines for the different possibilities of the future. So that, you know, increase the time that we had, you know, for the recording for the voice actors. So yeah, it was, it was definitely demanding. Yeah, it, it, but it brings a lot of life to the entire ensemble uh, in the end, which, which is really enjoyable to get to know these characters, both on the, on the good and the bad side. And as you were saying, just sort of the, the bespoke NPCs that you encounter uh, in every town. So, of course, I'd be remiss before we wrap up uh, to not mention something that was the reason I think Chris Tales first caught my eye and I think so many people's is this incredible art style that you and the team have have fashioned and, and built a world out of uh, within the game. For those who haven't played yet, there's this beautiful mix of, uh, you know, you're in a 3D world, but some incredible 2D artwork and, and then sort of the marriage of 2D and 3D together. Uh, in really, really unique and beautiful ways. But uh, I was curious if you could tell me a little bit sort of about the the inspirations of the art style and, and what the team hoped to evoke. Yes, of course. So first of all, the art style, it's all Sebastián Villarreal, who's the art director. And he wanted to... The, the concept for Criswell was, what if a Disney princess was born in Colombia? And what if she had her castle there. So he came up with this idea of this girl from Nariño, who's like a real place here in Colombia. And the Lajas Cathedral, uh, that's the inspiration, like the real-time version of one of the first cathedrals that you meet in the game. And uh, he took all of that and mixed it with a lot of uh, influences from Samurai Jack, Foster Home for Imaginary Friends, um, anime and of course the old disney and mixed all of that to create this unique art style that blends so well together with um with the time mechanics and uh i would of course have to mention uh jadir villamizar who also came up with this idea like the gameplay director came up with this idea of both the triangle that's uh like a, a main staple of the game and also like the 2.5d way that you walk around the world and it allows so well to see the the art style so well depicted uh, while also you know portraying that it's all 2d but in this sort of 3d 2.5d world uh it's you know inspired a little bit by games like don't starve or we actually at the beginning wanted to do like a top-down sort of game but uh it ended up looking this way which we believe uh portrays the art style in the most beautiful way yeah, it's a, it's a really great marriage, as you said, of a, of a sort of 2.5D uh, in, in between 2D and 3D that, especially in some of the really big open areas that when you get into a lot of the exploration and combat and things, uh, you get just some breathtaking sort of vistas and creations. Uh, but then you, of course, have those cities, as you were mentioning, and these beautiful cathedrals and everything to to explore. It, it, it's a beautiful game, and I've, I've been having a blast with it so far. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today, Carlos. Thank you so much for your time. No problem, Jonathan. We're really excited to be able to show the game to the world, to show that Colombia has so much more and to be able to show a lot of the culture and the talent that we have um, through our eyes and so that people all over the world can experience this wonderful experience that we've uh, tried to, to uh, craft for them in Chris Sales.
Awesome. And it is uh, currently available on PS4 and PS5 digitally and physically as well, correct? Yes, it is. And if you buy the retail edition, you will have this wonderful poster. poster. Uh, but it's also, of course, available on the PSN. And we've been extremely fortunate to be uh, featured, to have been featured for like two weeks on the What's Hot section on both PS5 and PS4, and also on the monthly picks. So we're extremely excited to have so much support from uh, Sony and PlayStation. Awesome. Well, uh, hopefully some of you beyond listeners and viewers out there who haven't uh, played yet, Pick up Chris Tales. I've been having a blast with it. And Carlos, thank you again so much for your time. And we'll head back to whatever else is happening on this week's episode of Beyond. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for taking that time to speak to Carlos. Carlos, thank you so much, though, for taking the time uh, to speak with me. It was a really great conversation to have. Uh, and I, I hope you all enjoyed that out there. I want to I think that Jonathan that. fellow is going places. He's really he's got some moxie, that kid. You know, I hope so. Uh, his background was much worse. There was no sleeping dog in the background, which is, you know, a definite knock against him. But hopefully he can improve. Uh, but no, we definitely want to have more indie devs on here in the future. And speaking of, if you happen to be an indie dev and including any of the games we just mentioned, hit us up beyond at IGN.com. would like to help schedule some more of these out. We have some planned for the future. Should be really fun, uh, but would love to spotlight those indies where we can on the show. Uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Taylor Lyles, uh, who was on the show last week, did an interview uh, about the creation of uh, the DualSense and the technology within it. Um, that interview is up on IGN right now. Uh, she had a really, really great discussion with uh, Sony Interactive Entertainment Product Director Toshi Aoki uh, about the creation of the DualSense, some of the design choices they made, and and a little bit of hints about like kind of why it makes sense that the PSVR controllers that we're going to be getting also have so much of the haptics in it, and why they they made such a, a uh, obvious sense to include that as part of the larger package of what we'll get with uh, PSVR. Um, there was a report from earlier this week, too, about uh, allegedly PlayStation met recently with VR devs about how the focus for PSVR 2 is going to be sort of looking for console quality, AAA experiences, a lot of stuff that could possibly be played uh, in VR as well as out of VR. This is, of course, uh, allegedly from a report. Let me uh, make sure I'm sourcing this correctly. Uh, but this report came from uh, YouTube channel PSVR Without Parole. Uh, about a recent alleged Sony private event. Uh, I, I think that's a, a really cool potential for PSVR. I think it makes sense. Uh, I know we're all all fans of PSVR, but it's been, I, I would say, I, I maybe am alone in this. I don't know about you guys, but I haven't really used my PSVR in quite some time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would really like to see what this next gen of, of VR allows for, especially if it is really focused on big immersive experiences that can bridge the gap between playing out of VR and, and with we're also in a really uh, sort of interesting and different time right now where I feel like uh, at the time of the launch of the of the PSVR, there were other companies obviously dabbling in VR, right? There was sort of Oculus and PC VR and, and you know, a million other different you know, Google Cardboard. There was all this different stuff. It was a very splintered thing. Um, and there were a bunch of devs sort of tweeting recently about how they don't even bother making games for PC VR anymore because Oculus is predominantly where they're making all of their money. Like there it's, it's like 90%, 95%, 99% of the money is coming in to the Oculus quest Two. That thing is just like having like a, a standalone VR headset that you could buy at a brick and, brick and mortar store like Best Buy uh, is doing tremendous numbers. And at the time PSVR for a while was the best selling uh, headset for VR and Oculus quest two came in and kind of just like 
not necessarily ate their lunch, but like really, you know, kept going and going and going while it feels like things kind of slowed down for uh, PSVR a little bit. And so now I think it's sort of the ball's kind of in Sony's court to come in and, and woo developers and go, hey, here's what's different about what we're making. And here's why you should spend resources to put games here. Like there's a significant player in the field now in that territory. Uh, and I think that's like really exciting because that's, you know, competition uh, breeds mm-hmm. innovation. Yeah, no, it's it's funny to think about because like when the PSVR came out, like it was competing with the Oculus with Kickstarter money. Mm-hmm. And now they're competing with the Oculus with Facebook money. And we've seen, I mean, it's also crazy that that went from being a, a weird thing you plugged into your PC and now it's a thing you just put on your head. And it's got a pretty pretty good library and it's growing. We've seen like more and more games sort of pop up. And I, I mean, I really hope that when the PSVR 2 inevitably launches that it kind of comes out swinging and just ports over a bunch of those sort of established games that we've seen. Maybe they've popped up on PC. Maybe they popped up on a platform you just don't have access to. Or you're like, oh, I want to check that out, but I'll wait. You know, like, I think it'd be really cool if they're just like, hey, uh, here's Half-Life Alex, here's Resident Evil 4, here's uh, the uh, Sniper, what, VR Onward, like all the, you know, all the games that are like really big, Fisherman's Story, whatever, like, I don't even remember what they're called, but like a bunch of those, you know, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, just get all of those like front and center and like really, you know, show them off. Like when the, when the PSVR, like PSVR is, it's, that's dated tech, you know, that fe- it feels old. It's got controllers from 2009 and it, uh, you know, the resolution isn't, isn't phenomenal and it's uh it feels you know noticeably clunkier compared to sort of you know more recent gear uh and that's even just a sort of aside from the quality of the software and i don't know it's i'm I'm excited to see what that looks like i don't think everything needs to be necessarily you know triple a quality but if i think if they can sort of um i don't know maybe maybe thin out the the shovelware (laughs) like there's definitely a lot of there's a lot of like you know wii games you play with something on your head on yeah, on the, the VR the <laughs> side of things, yeah. They're going to have to really establish themselves as like, this is why you need this thing versus the Oculus. Because, I mean, the, the barrier to entry to play PSVR 2 is going to be a 400 to $500 console that is hopefully easier to find by then. And then a 300 to 400 to who knows how much uh, headset, um, which has to be tethered to your $500 console, which is then connected to your television. Like, there's just a lot more there than sort of walking in a store and seeing like the packaging for the Oculus Quest and Oculus Quest 2 is a headset floating on a box. And it's like, that's all you need, right? Like, I think that's like, you know, not not to spend this entire show like kissing that thing's ass. But like, I think that that's like it, it, it the, the, the battle has changed a little bit. Right. And so I, I think that Sony needs to adapt to that. And I do a lot of the stuff Max said, which is bring over a lot of the games that people sort of identified with Oculus and, and bring them to the to the PlayStation audience. But also create brand new experiences and maybe make something more powerful. Maybe set the bar higher with the new controllers. Like there has to be something in the tech that makes you go, this is different. This is better. This is worth, you know, splintering and fragmenting the audience even further. Uh, and this is worth me getting this over or Oculus quest or, uh, to complement my Oculus quest. Yeah. It's we're, we're going to be more than half a decade removed from when the first PSVR headset launched. And as you said, there's the space has changed quite dramatically. Since then, uh, I, I hope whatever it is is really cool. Obviously, I think you know using the haptics and all of that makes total sense, and I think will make for some very cool, hopefully unique and, and exclusive VR experiences. But yeah, mm-hmm. I I really can't peg down when we're going to see that right now because of just the way the world is. Like I would have possibly thought end of next year, but now I'm thinking 2023 is probably it. I don't know. It's it it is super weird that we know what the controllers look like. Yeah, you know? like right. That's, that's, 
like that that feels i'm glad like it's cool to know it cool it's cool to know that like they're investing in vr but it's just it's so weird that they like randomly put up pictures of the controllers one day and then there's been some like you know like very fragmented little details here and there but nothing really ever since and I, we've talked about this before like it's it's stupid to make a complementary piece of hardware to a sort of primary piece of hardware that is impossible to find right now um but it is it is bizarre that we've like we've known for a long time now or months and months what those controllers look like no idea what the headset looks like no idea what the timeline for finding out more or release date i mean that's price. that's how they that's how they show off the that was how they did the, the dual sense we saw the dual sense yeah. months and months. i mean it's always the controller first but that makes sense for consoles it makes less sense when the the main thing you're going to be engaging with is something you have to put on your head like maybe <laughs> show, show that off a little bit yeah it it made me think the VR uh, 2 was way further ahead than we thought. But now because of the silence, I think it's not. But who knows? We'll, we'll obviously continue to cover it. We're all really, really excited by what yeah. PSVR 2 could be. But we'll we'll see that whenever it shows up. Um, before we wrap up, I did want to just briefly check in. I know we were all talking about it before the show, but we've all been bouncing around a lot with what we've been playing. But was there anything that either of you wanted to shout out? Brian, I'll start with you. Uh, I I started I restarted Dark Souls Remastered. Um, I think I needed something like dark and depressing and brutal to play through right now because I it's, I read the news and I need I needed something. And it's that, just too happy out there. It's too it's too happy out there. I needed to bring a little sadness home with me. No, uh, so that that's been really fun. I I've never finished that game, and I I, I realized that like I played it a little bit when it originally launched, and then I played a bunch when it came to Switch, which was not the place to play. Dark Souls Remastered because I couldn't really <laughs> kind of like benefit or uh, really recognize a lot of the improvements visually, uh, texture wise, frame rate wise, all that stuff. And playing it on on like a you know big powerful next gen console is a, is night and day now. And so I'm really enjoy, enjoying it, chipping away at it, and I'm I'm further than I ever have been before. And it's it's fun because it's like there's so many resources for that game out there now, and I'm basically playing it in the kind of the way I travel, which is like. I have a general idea of where to go based on guidance, but then once I get there, I kind of find my own way. And so, yeah, I, I think like I, I got built bit by the Elden Ring bug again a couple of weeks <laughs> ago, and I'm super excited for it. And so I just wanted something kind of like brutal and soulsy and, and kind of creepy and scary to play. So and it's scratching that itch. Did you ever uh, when you played Dark Souls one, did you ever play the DLC that was in there? Mm -hmm. Um, I, no. I can't believe this is me giving a suggestion to you about a Dark Souls game, uh, but the there is a DLC fight in that game that is legitimately one of my favorite Souls fights that I've had across any of the, the games that I've been dipping into recently from it. It is fantastic. There's some like kind of parts of the DLC that feel a little bit like filler, uh, but I think it's the final boss fight in it. It takes maybe like two to three hours to get through all of it. it is so good. It feels like a a fighting game fight with Dark Souls mechanics uh, in terms of like its flashiness and everything. It's so good. I can't recommend it enough to, to go check out. I, I will absolutely do that. I, I like, I think I, I almost screwed up because I feel like, like Bloodborne is one of my favorite games of all time. And none of the Souls games have ever come close to hitting that high for me. They, they get up there. Right. And there's definitely moments, but Bloodborne is just so it is so extremely my ish and it's it's just so high up there for me. It's like regularly in my one or two favorite games of all time. And so like I I, I feel like I it it makes it harder for me to play some of the other Souls games, but I still really appreciate what they do and I really want to dig into all of them. So I'm just kind of backtracking and, and giving them the respect they deserve. 
Awesome. Uh, and Max, what about you? On Man, your... now I want to play Dark Souls. I, I was <laughs> going to try to jump into Dark Souls 3, but I bought that on uh, physical and I don't know where my disc is. So <laughs> now it's even harder than it was. I have can't even open it. Um, but no, I've been I've been bouncing between a bunch of stuff. I um, I got my hands on a Series X. And so I've been uh, taking advantage of the quick resume thing, which lets you have just the worst ADD when it comes to playing games, because it's like, oh, I'm going to have like, you know, it's like watching eight shows at the same time, basically. Um, but I've been bopping between like a bunch of different things on there. I played uh, a ton of uh, Destroy All Humans this last weekend, which I never played when it originally came out. Uh, and it's the, you know, the remastered one that had like the Rammstein trailer at Gamescom, whatever. Yep. Um, and that's like such just the, the, the right level of stupid for how I was feeling this this last weekend. I was just kind of like, uh, kind of, uh, you know, just wanting to blow up cows or whatever. Um, <laughs> and I've been chipping away at uh, Wolfenstein 2. And apparently I wasn't killing enough Nazis. So I started playing Sniper Elite 4, which definitely has, uh, if you've ever sort of slept on this, this has some this has Metal Gear Solid 5 DNA to it. It definitely has like similar similar feeling kind of movement and which is really nice because i i miss metal gear solid 5 and i shouldn't i just shouldn't replay that again um but yeah i, I jump back into i realize i haven't i haven't finished um yakuza 3 and i figured out why because i hate playing it because it has the the most frustrating combat of any of those games um and they they sort of remastered and updated most of them but that is sort of uh they they just ported it over the ps3 version for the remastered version and it's still got basically just really uh, it's just like chip damage fights like I just it's the kind of thing where you're like it's not even it's it's not challenging in an interesting way it's like you're just punching a dude repeatedly and he's just holding his blocks up and then you'd like eat a bunch of like you chug a bunch of vitamin shots and like get your health back up and then he comes over and just like does like you know front flip flaming kick on your head and then you die and you're like this is, this is dumb and you find out they attack the orphanage or what I, I don't know I'm, I'm trying to chip through that and then so I can jump into the you know four and five because those are always good yeah. You know, just good sort of standby games. Um, yes. Yeah, it's it's just, it's kind of like, it's, you ever have a thing where you just, you hit, like you, you hit something that just slows you down and just makes you not want to do it anymore. And it's like, I'm dying to play, you know, Yakuza 4 and 5, but stuck on 3, just because yeah. it's not, it's not enjoyable. Sometimes, you, yeah, you just, you hit one of those walls, but uh, hopefully something can kind of get back into the, the mix for you. But uh, yeah, uh, I, as I mentioned, I've been playing Hades. Please play Hades is phenomenal. Uh, and before we wrap up, uh, amazingly, before before we wrap up, Blue Box did tweet again. Uh, what? And as we were ending this episode perfectly, uh, the, it's not up yet. Don't worry. But Blue Box, Blue Box, it happened to Blue me now Box. too. Uh, said that's apropos because they said we are still working to resolve the issue we are facing. We wanted to remind you that we are a small studio without the wide resources to quickly resolve an issue. AKA, we are not Kojima. We want to deliver a highly polished product and a good representation of the game that functions as intended. We won't be delaying the patch to a specific date, which makes me think it is quite a ways off, but release it as soon as we have resolved. On behalf of the Blue Box Game Studios team and everyone involved with Abandoned, we thank you for the patience and apologize deeply. So, you know what? Uh, you know what can shut the hell up is apparently blue is not. It's not a color. It's something else in Blue Box. They tweeted that out, and people are like, blah, blah, trying to guess if it's like an acronym. And it's just like, just uh, put the puzzles is, in the game, and then put the game out. Like, just yeah, that would be, that would be great if the puzzles there are puzzles in the game. But we'll have to find that out uh, in the future uh, as we continue to cover whatever it may be <laughs> and whatever else happens on PlayStation. Uh, but thank you all so much for joining us for this week's episode. Thank you to Brian and Max uh, for joining me. You can find us all on Twitter. I am at JM Dornbush. Brian is at Agent Bizzle. Max is at Max Scoville. 
Uh, thank you to Alan, our producer, for producing the show and making it happen this week. And thank you to everyone out there for listening and watching. We hope you're safe. We hope you're well. And as always, beyond. Beyond. Yeah. What if you discovered you could move between the worlds of dreams and real life? That's the story of Dream Breachers, where Evan wakes up on his 12th birthday and realizes that something he dreamt about the night before had actually happened. With the help of his friends, a reappearing stranger, and a mysterious organization called the Dream Academy, Evan will discover what it means to be a Dream Breacher. Dream Breachers is a high-stakes sci-fi mystery adventure about the highs and lows of having all your dreams come true and is perfect for kids ages 8 to 12. If that sounds like a dream to you, you're in luck. You can listen to Dream Breachers now, wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.